Well, I hope that you have enjoyed your Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I know that I have and my family have. In fact, we've really come to embrace Thanksgiving. It's become one of our favorite holidays of the year. We've been over here in the United States about 16 years, but uh, yeah, it's, I think we're in our 16th year, and we've really come to enjoy what Thanksgiving uh, gives to us. Uh, I had sidebar. Uh, some of you know I'm a college professor. I had one of my students came up to me uh, just before the Thanksgiving break and he said, hey, Dr. Jones, how did you guys used to celebrate Thanksgiving in England? And I kind of paused for a moment and then wondered whether I should, you know, respond very kindly and appropriately, but no, I just sort of responded very sarcastically. I basically said, you know, the same thing that we used to do to celebrate July 4th. Uh, anyway, so, but one of the things that we like to do now as a family is in the day or the couple of days that follow Thanksgiving is to put up our Christmas decorations. And I'm guessing that some of you do the same thing. I feel as a nation we're divided into pre-Thanksgiving decorations and post-Thanksgiving. So we're sort of on the post-Thanksgiving side. Yesterday we put up our tree, we put all the trimmings up, and then all the various trinkets that go around the house. You know, some are on shelves, some on tables. And if you are like our family, you may have a nativity set in your house. We actually have three. I counted them this morning. We've got a fairly large one that's made of wood. We then have a smaller one that is sort of divided into two bookends. And then we have one that we hang on the wall that is uh, an advent calendar, if you will. And every day in the run-up to December 25th, you add another character of the nativity story on it. But it got me thinking how many different nativity scenes there are out there. And I bet you all have different ones to the ones that I have. So I went a-googling this past week, and I tried to come up with a list of the most unique and interesting nativity scenes, um, you know, trying to figure out how do we portray who Jesus is. So um, I'm going to put up the, you know, the first manger scene now. So here we've got so, uh, some cats. So if you're a cat lover, this one's for you with uh, the baby Jesus kitten in the manger. I like to call this Feline Navidad. Okay, I worked on that a while. I thought that was the perfect joke. All right, then next we have a very spiritual nativity scene. We've got the zombie nativity scene. I'm really not certain what to do with this. I mean, I know that Christmas and the nativity story is supposed to be very spiritual, but I feel that this takes spirits to a completely different level. And I want to know, what does baby zombie Jesus say? What's his first word? Because if it's mummy, then half of them are going to respond and say, yes, what? Anyway, so the next one that I came across was the underwater nativity scene. Real, I, I don't have a whole lot to say because I'm not certain what this is. I mean, is it Poseidon on the right? Is it Ariel on the left? Is it, you know, little squid baby Jesus? And the only thing I could conclude was that they were made for each other. I know, I, you can tell I'm a dad, can't you? Uh, so the next one we have, so the balls, this is the minimalist. We got it, there we have. This is the minimalist nativity scene. Now, I'm a minimalist, but my OCD kicks in a bit here. This is not minimalist enough, so we really should remove the three wise balls on the right. We should get rid of the donkey ball and the sheep ball on the left. In fact, we should get rid of the manger. And so you're just left with J-ball, M-ball, and baby ball. And I think that that would be okay. Then we have the, uh, the selfie nativity scene. Uh, it's actually called the Millennial Christmas. So you have Joseph there with his uh, cell phone. Uh, if you were to look closely, you'd notice his jeans are rolled up to just the right level. Uh, what you don't see is he has a man bun. 
You know, Mary's there with a duck face and her Starbucks. Uh, you can't see actually on top of the, uh, the stable, there are solar panels on top of the stable. The three wise men, they're all on segways and they hold Amazon delivery packages. Now seriously, you, you can Google this after the service. You can Google it. You can buy this today. We then have the, the most uh, pandemic-appropriate nativity scene. So we got the mask nativity. And we all know, of course, that the first thing that Mary and Joseph did when they arrived in Bethlehem was to put their masks on because of the pandemic, right? Yeah, I think they're about to start singing Baby, It's COVID Outside, but uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> Some of you may have nativity scenes inside of snow globes, some of you may have parts of nativity scenes inside a snow globe. So we'll put up the snow globe one that comes next, please. Uh, not entirely certain uh, why we only have half of Mary. So I actually call this one Astronaut Mary. And if you look at the, the shock on baby Jesus' face, I think that he's thinking, which planet did I come to? And like, is this Mars or is it Earth? Uh, and then let's get contextual, let's deal with uh, Santa, although I promise not to say too much about this because if I really do, I'm going to get in trouble with some of you, but here you've got the real clash of cultures, right? So the only thing I can say about this is, what does he do with the baby when he's going down the chimney? Yeah, how does that work? Um, anyway, last but not least, I'm a Stranger Things fan, and if you are, you will appreciate Manger Things. Okay, manger things. This is uh, Christmas in Hawkins, where they don't sing the 12 days of Christmas. Of course, they sing the 11 days of Christmas. All right, there you go. I'm sorry. I ended up, I went down these rabbit trails, and you wouldn't believe it, but I've actually removed a lot. Okay, this is, that, that was the shortcut list. But there's a reason I'm showing you these. I feel as a culture, we may have the wrong idea as to who the baby in the hay is. I think every time Christmas comes around, we get caught up in a baby and gifts. And perhaps we've lost the true identity of who Jesus really is. So the title to this morning's message is, Who is this baby in the hay? Who is this baby in the hay? Because there are so many different portrayals. Now, in order to answer that question, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. Now, starting next week, John Mark, our lead pastor, will begin our Christmas series looking in both Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, the very traditional nativity stories, the three wise men, the angels, the shepherds, etc. Well, this morning is a little bit of a precursor to that, a prequel, if you will. Because in order to answer who is this baby in the hay, we're going to need to step outside of time. We're going to go back into eternity. I've said back into eternity. That statement actually doesn't make sense because there is no time in eternity, but that's how we can understand it. But we're going to look at how John begins the story of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, you can open it, you can switch it on, you can scroll to it, but the Gospel of John, and I'll be reading from chapter 1, and of course the verses will be behind me. And just to give you an idea of where we're going, five movements of this morning's message, I'm going to make an observation about the authority of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to make an observation about his control, his ability, his reality, and that will bring us to a crossroads. So who is this baby in the hay? Number one, he is God the Son, 
the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. So let me start reading from John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and I'll start reading at verse 1. And I'll read a couple of verses and we'll stop and pause. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now let's pause. If you have been in a church for any period of time, this is probably a familiar verse, a familiar couple of verses to you. And so you hear, in the beginning was the Word, and you think, oh yeah, okay, heard that before, I get it. But if this is the first time you're encountering that verse, you may be a little bit perplexed and ask yourself, what word is being spoken of here? Is it A? Like, is this a Merriam-Webster deal that John's doing? Is the first word advark? Well, no. Uh, John is, and this is the disciple John, the apostle John, as he starts his narrative of Jesus, his gospel, he goes out of time and into eternity. And in order to demonstrate who this baby in the hay is, he wants his readers to understand he's not just a baby. In fact, he's not only human, though he's fully human, he's God. Now, to explain that, let me step back for a moment into the Old Testament. In the Old Testament era, God revealed himself predominantly through the written word, so that would be the law of Moses, the history books that you find in the Old Testament, etc. So the written word. God also revealed himself through the spoken word. So God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Moses. God spoke through the prophets. So in the Old Testament era, God's revelation is through the written word and the living word. Now something unique is taking place. A new revelation of God is being revealed to the word, world, not in writing, not just in words, but a living person. Jesus is the living word of God, the living revelation of God, God stepping into time. So when John says, in the beginning was the word, the reference to the word is a reference to who we will know as Jesus. But he's immediately drawing a parallel with the first line of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. By the way, I'm going to get to creation in a moment. In the beginning... And John says, yes, in the beginning, the Word, the living Word, God the Son existed. Now, we believe as Christians, we believe in one God who has eternally existed in three separate and distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all co-equal. They're all worthy of the same praise and adoration. And there's never been a moment that all three did not exist. The Father has always existed. The Son has always existed. The Spirit has always existed. So John is saying this, this baby in the hay, he didn't just come into existence when he was born or when he was conceived by a miracle in the womb of Mary. That's not when this man who we will start to become, he'll become familiar to us as Jesus, we read this story, that's not when he came into existence. He's always existed, out of time, because he is God the Son. 
And he's not just a special man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a God. He's the God. Because in the beginning was the Word who was with God, who was God. This speaks to the power of who Jesus is. This baby in the hay has absolute power. The book of Hebrews speaks about this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, it opens with, uh, in a very similar way. Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That would be, God previously spoke through the written word and through the spoken word. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus, baby Jesus, is God, fully God. The Father didn't come to the manger. The Son came to the manger with absolute power. We believe that this baby in the manger is 100% God and 100% man. Point number two, who is this baby in the hay? He is the co-creator and sustainer of everything. Co-creator, sustainer of everything. Let me go back to, uh, to the Gospel of John. Let me read again. So John 1, I'll pick up where I left off. So verse 3. All things, that's everything, all things were made through him. Through who? Through the word, through who we know as Jesus. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. This is what John's saying. Every single thing that we, the reader, know to be true has been created, brought into existence, and sustained by this baby in the hay. Because not only was he with God outside of time, prior to creation, not only was he equal with the Father, with the Spirit, he is the agent through whom everything has been made. All things were made through him. We actually find Paul talking about this in, uh, in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 16, Paul will hit this same point. For by him, and he's talking about Jesus, by him all things were created, everything. Things in heaven, in other words, the, the angels, things on earth, things visible, things invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What that means for us this morning is that you're here because of Jesus. He not only created, he sustained our lives this morning. The reason that we woke up and there wasn't a chalk outline around our bodies is because our very lives have been sustained by God the Son, the agent through whom everything was made, the co-creator. That means he's in absolute control. He has absolute authority because he is God, but he has absolute control over everything. As you read through the story of Jesus in the Gospels, you find things like, in fact, in, in John, you find a story of Jesus turning water into wine. How did he do that? Well, he's the co-creator. 
We find stories of him walking on water, telling the elements to obey him rather than the other way way round. How did he do that? He's the creator. He can do whatever he wants with the elements that he made. We find him bringing people back to life. We find him taking bread and fish and multiplying it and feeding thousands of people. How was he able to do that? He made those elements. He can do whatever he wants with those elements. We we find him calming a a storm with just a spoken word. How could he do that? Well, he's the creator. He has absolute control over every situation. So he has control over our situation, over your situation this morning. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but again, I, I would imagine for some of you, it's difficult It's painful. You wish you were not where you were right now. And perhaps you feel alone in that. Please hear me now. This baby in the hay that all of our attention turns to at Christmas time. He is in control. He is God, the Son. He sees you. He knows you. He is able to help you in this present situation. Which kind of leads into our third point. Who is this baby in the hay? Well, he's God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He's co-creator and sustainer of all things. But he has overcome evil. He has overcome evil. Let me go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him, Jesus, in him was life. Not, by the way, physical life as co-creator, but Spoiler warning, eternal life, as we're about to find out. So in him was life. That life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now we're being introduced to another theme that's very common through the Gospel of John. Uh, John is unlike the other gospel stories. So you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a lot of parallels. That's why they're called the synoptic gospels. Uh, Synopsis comes from the Latin. It means parallel. John, totally different. John focuses on that Jesus is God. John gives us seven miracles. We call them the seven signs. John gives us seven clear statements about Jesus. They're called the seven I am statements. One of which, by the way, is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. The other thing that John does, he contrasts light and darkness. Light, in the Gospel of John, is always the work of God through Jesus. Darkness, on the other hand, is always the work of evil. It's the work of Satan. So the things that Jesus does happen in light and light spreading into darkness. And the things that are evil, that are seeking to destroy what Jesus is doing, is always done in darkness. Now then, you know what darkness is like. When you're surrounded by darkness, you can't see. It is all-encompassing. Can we drop the lights, please? Can we bring all of the lights down? It's dark. I can't see you anymore. I can't escape the darkness in this room. I can't overcome it, certainly not. However, the moment a single light is introduced, you put a light on me, thanks. The darkness is dispelled. 
The darkness cannot now overcome the light. The light is there. The light infiltrates darkness. It overcomes darkness. Okay, you can raise the lights, thank you. This is a metaphor for the work of Jesus. Light entering the world. The power of God dealing with the power of evil. And in fact, John will return to this again in a later letter. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. So this is still the Apostle John, and he says this. He who is in you, you Christian, the one that's in you now, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Light in darkness, overcoming evil. This tells us about his ability to deal with every situation we're facing. We talk a lot here at the gathering about finding freedom. We mean finding freedom from our past, finding freedom from our mistakes, finding freedom from our sin, finding freedom from guilt and shame and temptation. This is the work of Jesus. It is through Jesus that we are able to even talk about finding freedom from those things because he's overcome those things. And so life in him now has overcome everything that would hold us back or would hinder us. And I know these things still feel very real at times. But if you are in faith in Christ, you have the ability to stand firm, to overcome, to find freedom from these things. Who is this baby in the hay? He's overcome all evil. And fourthly, who is he? His life is an historical fact, and yet many still rejected him. His life was an historical fact, and yet many still rejected him. Let me go back to John chapter 1. Now, I'm going to start reading with a, a bit of a parenthetical statement. It's a couple of verses. I'll read it, and I'll explain it. So there was a man, this is John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This isn't the person that wrote this. John, the disciple who wrote the gospel, is now talking about John the Baptist. So in other words, there was a man sent from God who was called John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, about Jesus. He came to tell people about Jesus, that all might believe through him, through Jesus. He, John the Baptist, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Just this parenthetical statement that someone came along about six months before Jesus was born. They grew up together, and John the Baptist prepared the way for the ministry of Jesus. Did you notice the word witness was there three times? I'll return to that before we're done this morning. Let me continue. John 1 verse 9. The true light, that's a reference to Jesus again, the true light which enlightens everybody was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, because he's the co-creator, remember? The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Here, we're told by John, the apostle, the disciple, that Jesus really existed. Listen to the language again. He was coming into the world. That's a, a factual statement. Uh, the world was made through him. He came to his own. These are all factual statements that John is giving his reader. Jesus 
was a historical person. Fact. I would imagine most of you here this morning don't doubt that, but I bet you some of you do. You look at the baby in the hay and you think, cute story, Christmas story, myth, fairy tale. I don't know. If it encourages you, great. Now, you have to deal with this, that Jesus factually, historically lived. I'm going to talk about what you do with that in a moment, but you cannot historically deny that Jesus was born and lived and died. Do you know that even the Islamic faith recognizes that? The Quran talks about Jesus historically. Now, they reject that he was the Son of God, but they believe that he was a wise man, a prophet. But there's more in history to affirm the historical Jesus than there are in many people that you take for granted. William Shakespeare, for instance. Let's stick with a British example, right? Do you know there's more historical evidence that Jesus lived than there is that William Shakespeare lived? We don't have a single original thing that William Shakespeare wrote. We only have what people wrote about him. And we have so much more about Jesus. If you're still doubting me, I'm going to quote now from a Roman historian called Josephus. Josephus, you can Google this after the message, not now. Josephus lived in the first century Palestine. He had a Hebrew background. He, was, uh, he served in uh, the emperor's court. He served in the military. This is what Josephus wrote in his history about the Jews, specifically one account about Jesus. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of surprising works, a teacher of such men as receive the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct to this day. So if you're going to argue with me, you know, you can't reason that Jesus existed from the Bible, then deal with that because Josephus wasn't a Christian. He's a Roman historian. There are many more examples of these, Suetonius, Tacitus, the historical record is very clear that Jesus existed. It would be like me saying to you, I own a Ford, and you saying, I don't believe you. I say, okay, you're entitled to your view, but you're wrong. And the fact that you hold that view doesn't negate the truth, the reality of what really exists. This baby in the manger really existed, and yet many rejected him. Did you catch this? By the way, I think these are some of the, the saddest verses in the whole of the Bible. He was in the world, and even though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, Israel, but they did not receive him. Basically, the world didn't even notice. They didn't for a moment stop to pause whether his claims were true. I think this still reflects a lot of where we are today as a culture, I wonder if it reflects someone here this morning. You need to know the reality 
of who we talk about here week after week after week. And that reality is then going to bring you to a crossroads. So who is this baby in the hay? Well, let's just recap where we are. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He is the co-creator and sustainer of everything. He has overcome evil. His life is an historical fact, even though many rejected him. So we've just talked about his authority, his control, his ability, his reality. Fifth and final, we're now at the crossroads. Who is this baby in the hay? He came to reconcile us to God. He came to reconcile us back to God. This is his mission. This is his task. Let me read John chapter 1, verse 12, 13. But, so word of contrast, we'll talk about this in a moment. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John has just said that even though Jesus was in the world, many rejected him. And then, you grammarians out there, you'll notice the word but. Now, Fiona, my wife, and she's sitting here this morning, she made me promise that I would not say that there are many beautiful buts in the Bible. So I promise you, I will not point out that there are some wonderful buts in the Bible, okay? But to all who did receive him, so all of these rejected him, but a shift takes place to all who did receive him, who believed he gave. Did you notice that? Gave, the giving, the gift, the gift that we really all need to be focusing on in the weeks ahead. It's not our Black Friday deals, or, but there's nothing wrong with those, by the way, but the emphasis should be this gift. He gave the right to be a child of God. Wow. John will hit this point again in uh, two chapters time with what's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let me explain that for you. In the beginning God created everything. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit creating together this beautiful world. And man, the very last thing to be created, man lived in harmony with God. We're told that Adam and Eve walked with God, listened to God, heard God audibly talk, spoke to God. And God gave our ultimate ancestors absolute freedom to enjoy this great world. Immense freedom with one instruction, one rule, one command. Eat whatever you want. Just don't take the fruit off this particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because that's a game changer if you do. And they did the one thing that God told them not to do. Never think, by the way, that following Jesus is this overly restrictive thing and you can't do. Don't be lured into this lie of Satan that our faith is all about do not, do not, do not, cannot, cannot, cannot. God is a God of grace and can. 
of great freedom. Jesus came to set the captives free. But the moment they disobeyed God, that relationship was shattered. And the account of the Bible from that moment forward is a struggle. It's mankind being distant from God, God being gracious over and over again and giving them opportunities to know Him in a variety of ways, which again and again they dismissed and rejected and just stumbled from one rebellious act to another. And so God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sent the Son into creation. The Creator entered into creation to restore the creation to the Creator. It is through faith in God, belief, we heard that that word twice then, through belief in who Jesus claimed to be, that this relationship is restored. In the here and now, yes, but eternally, eternally. And that gives us hope in the here and now, and that gives us the ability to withstand and to face every situation, knowing that we're not alone, but knowing we have the power that created the world with us. Someone here this morning, you you need to hear that you need to believe. An acknowledgement isn't enough. I mean, you're really acknowledging being here. That's not sufficient. It's a belief. This is a, God, I, I trust you. I will put faith in you. I don't fully understand that or what that means. Perhaps that's what you're thinking. You don't have to have a degree or a college degree, a seminary degree. It's a, it's a first step. It's a one step first. It's a, a metaphorical drawing a line. It's a God, I want to change from who I am now. And I believe that this baby in the hay came to set me free from my sin and to forgive that. So I'm going to pray right now. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Our Father, forgive me for my past. Forgive me for my mistakes, for my sin. Help me to understand what it means to trust that your one and only son, Jesus, came for me, died for me, rose for me. I believe I want to start my life again today. Help me in this moment, oh God, I surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.